Written by expert authors John L. Geiger and Howard Suber, Creativity and Copyright, Legal Essentials for Screenwriters and Creative Artists is a short, elegant reference for those looking to succeed in the entertainment industry. New from University of California Press, visit www.ucpress.edu to learn more. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jim Jarmusch interviewed by Amy Taubin, and Maddie Diop's Atlantics by Dennis Lim. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism, and subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rapold, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. Dazed and confused, boyhood, before sunset and beyond, it's hard to match Richard Linklater when it comes to movies basically about how we find our way through life. And probably a lot of us found our way with the help of Linklater's thoughtful, restless movies. His latest film, Where'd You Go Bernadette, adds another chapter to his work with the story of a woman rediscovering a creative self she left behind when she started a family. It's a terrific, nervy, and funny performance by Kate Blanchett, with a touching portrait of a mother-daughter relationship. So for our latest Film Comment Talk at Film at Lincoln Center, we were extremely happy to feature Linklater, alongside his producer, Ginger Sledge. Let's go to their conversation about Bernadette and beyond. So, How you guys doing? welcome. Um, I, I, we, I just probably, I'm guessing most people have not seen the film. It's probably been impossible. That's correct. Yeah, how would you have seen how it? Has anyone seen here it? seen it? <laughs> Unless you somehow broke into a s- special screening. Just goes. <laughs> um, so I wonder if we could just begin kind of just talking about, uh, you know, what brought you to the story and, and just a bit about the story itself. I was in conversation with Megan Ellison. She produced um, Everybody Wants Some that, that we mm-hmm. did a few years back. I mean, it was a long time ago now, I guess. Five years ago. Five years, yeah, it's about mm-hmm. five years ago. And uh, she was talking about this book. I knew people who had read it. I hadn't read it at that time. I don't think you had. Had you read it? Well, I had a, like, oh, if you just uh, like, pick up the mic just so we can. Yeah, you have a mic. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, when, when Annapurna started financing Everybody Wants Some, we were on set one day, and the representative for Annapurna came up to me and handed me the book and said, we think you'd really love this. And I read it, and I flipped out. And this was like well, when we were shooting. And I didn't realize. Did everyone keep it a secret from me or they something? They did. Because I didn't realize when <laughs> the they gave. The last thing you want to think about when yeah. you're in the middle of production is some <laughs> They're not going to bother him. To read. But they didn't, what yeah. they didn't say to me was that they were really hoping that Rick would direct it. They just gave oh, it okay. to me. And said, "Read it and tell oh, us what knew you think." Oh, be a little. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, I, I was just in conversation with with Megan, who I really um, love, and she was just talking about, "Yeah, I don't really develop movies. I really just make films. You know, directors want to make and things like that. But I really like this book, and so I just read it and really liked it. I think we started talking about it pretty yeah. immediately, yeah. and then my um, who ended up my co screenwriting collaborators, um, Vince Palmo and Holly Gent. They're, they're old colleagues. We worked together a long time ago on, you know, Days and Confused. They, they were on that production. So we go that far back. But um, I think Megan liked my take on it, you know. And I didn't know this at the time, like when they gave you the book. And they kind of keep this quiet. I found out later, somewhere down the line, that they had actually already had a screenplay. Oh, yeah, there had been a screenplay. They had a couple of them. Yeah, that yeah. they didn't like. 
Yeah. And uh, so they only told me that after. Megan's like, oh, yeah, I really like your take on Bernadette. Everything you're talking about her, those other... She, and I said, well, should I read those? She goes, no, don't, don't read them. Don't even read them. You know, they treated her like she was crazy. And I said, my take on Bernadette is uh, she wasn't crazy. You know, the world's crazy. She's, she's you know... It's hard to describe if you, if you haven't seen it, but there's some question. I'm, I'm doing press right now, and people are like, well, they want to talk about mental illness. And so I'm like, that's the whole point of the movie. She's not mentally. She's right. an artist who needs to get her ass back to work. Yeah. That, that's all it is. You know, she's a complex character. But I just loved her, and I loved um, just the notion of an artist who hasn't been doing their art for, in this case, yeah. a couple decades. I yeah. mean, she's an award-winning architect, MacArthur genius, but... You know, both being a mom, the complexities of that, and the trouble she's had, you know, we, we find out, the film slowly reveals, and she had a big uh, professional setback that she never quite got over, so it's what's, what she's battling internally. So it's a portrait of an artist who's not um, creating. Yeah, which just kind of eats away at her, and, and, but she doesn't even, she seems to have pushed that down so much that she's not even aware of how much yeah. it's eating away at her. Yeah, she's, you yeah. focus all that energy somewhere else and not necessarily in a healthy direction. So I thought it was a really interesting portrait of that. Yeah. And yeah. it's also a great portrait of like a mother-daughter relationship and a portrait of a you know, long-term relationship. She and her husband, who is played by Billy Crudup in the movie, they just, they're in the same house and, you know, they co-parenting, but they're not, you can tell they've drifted. They're not in sync. He doesn't know what's wrong with her and kind of at a loss. And it's, you know, it all kind of collides in this yeah. train wreck of an intervention scene. Yeah. So. And, um, I mean, Kate Blanchett is just a, a perfect, you know, match for this character, I think, just because she, she can bring such an energy to it, uh, even, you know, when she's just, you know, driving around with her daughter and that sort of thing. It's kind of a pent up. Yeah, you know, that is there. How, how did she come about to be? I think when I first talked to Megan, she, uh, Kate was in the air then, I think, um, which I was excited about. And I remember I was talking to Kate the other day, and it was like, we sat down. It was coming up on five years ago that we had, um, she was actually in Austin, where I live, and we just sat, you know, had breakfast together for a long time. She had read the book, I had read the book. I don't know if we'd even... She was a big fan of the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think she was definitely intrigued with that oh. character and like, how are we going to make a movie out of this? How many of you have read the book? Well. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Yeah, oh, so um, it was obviously a challenging adaptation. Yeah. What, what were some of the challenges? I mean, when, when, you know, just reading it, it kind of seems a very text-based book just because there are all these yeah. different formats in it. Like there are emails, there are letters, and, and they're constantly dueling with this main story. It's, it's kind of the way Maria Simple's kind of brilliant um, kind of exuberant <laughs> mind works. It's just these long rants and these, you know, but it's not a traditional novel by any means. It's not a story unfolding with descriptions and dialogue and character. It's like, no, it's, it's kind of like almost like evidence. It's emails, right. it's, yeah. you know, emergency room receipt, it's FBI files. It's so as a reader, you're kind of putting together a story in a weird order, but that's what makes it such a kind of an exhilarating read but you do an authentic adaptation of it would be a bunch of correspondence, I right, guess, yeah. you know, something. So that's kind of out the window. I don't, even I wouldn't think to make a movie 
you know. <laughs> just people reading yeah, emails yeah, to each other. <laughs> yeah. um, Maybe one day. So, yeah, that's a little, that was just, I wanted to tell the story, you know, cinematically. Yeah. How do you dig in? And so it's just like any adaptation. You're yeah. like, what's this about? You know, what's this about? So you end up making it what what you think it's about. Yeah. I mean, there is there is maybe almost a bit of that, um, uh, you know, you're just kind of gleaning information about her. There's almost a bit of that in the way the movie starts. Like the first right. 20, 30 minutes, you're kind of just plunged into her life. Right. And, and you're not like telling her this is who she is, telling us this is who she is. Yeah, there's not a lot of context. You go, yeah. who is this strange woman? Why is she doing what she's doing? And do I like her or not? You know, like we're pushing the boundaries. I felt it was a fine line, like, because she's pretty antisocial. I mean, she's kind of an asshole, you know, <laughs> to her neighbor and other people. You know, you kind of like, what's, what's with her, you know? So there was some, it was always kind of a fine line with her, but we reveal more and more about her yeah. as the movie just kind of keeps revealing more about her. And then you, you hopefully you, you get with her story and you find more empathy for her and you understand her. And hopefully by the end, you're really pulling for her and you, yeah. I, I think you like her. And I, I thought Kate could pull that off, you know, cause it is a yeah. portrait of kind of a troubled genius, you know, and, and yeah. when you portray genius, yeah, that's why films of the great, geniuses they never quite it's hard to do you know, you know right have you ever seen a film about beethoven that worked you know it's like <laughs> you, you got to match a genius right. with a genius and right. that's not always easy to do you know and i thought kate oh she she has that genius so it's like yeah. oh she's kind of the acting equivalent of you know she meets bernadette on some level some special level that i thought oh that's a mm-hmm. it just seemed kind of perfect and there was never anybody else in the air once kate was in the air and yeah in fact, we like the, one of the reasons it was five years ago and <laughs> it's taken this long was, well, Kate was doing another movie and then she was doing a play and, you know, yeah. I was like, when's Kate available? <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> it's like, but okay. I re- but I remember having a conversation with you and we had a couple other uh, people uh, put forth. And, and well, it was only because well, suddenly Kate wasn't available. Her. So we had to think like, gosh, do we do it with someone else? Right. But you and I were like, no, we're waiting for Kate. I mean, I remember, like, we were just like, no way, we have to wait for Kate, no matter what, because she's the only one who can really, truly um, fill those shoes, because I think right. when you say yeah. challenges, mm-hmm. one of the things Rick did so beautifully with Vincent Holly is that reading the book and knowing the book, it is a very difficult book to adapt, and what what was really difficult was getting the audience to somehow, through all of that, feel for her and the relationship with her daughter and try and he used some um, mechanisms to get you to know her a little bit better in the movie which I'm not going to reveal because you haven't seen the movie yet but um, but I feel like um, over over much time we finally got to this place where you know you can really connect with her and not think that she's crazy but really relate to what she's going through as a woman, a mother, an artist. And I think they do a really yeah. good job in the art, and then of course the actress. Yeah, yeah. I no, mean, that's so important. You know, yeah. so after you see the movie, you go, well, she'll always be, Bernadette is Kate, Kate is, you know, yeah. no one else could do that. But I remember the conversation with Megan is like, well, what about this person? And I just kind of went, you know, isn't this no. how bad movies happen? <laughs> you know, you get the wrong person because yeah, I want to make a movie, you want to make a movie, we love it, but isn't it more important to make, let's jump ahead 30 years. And, oh, so, um, <laughs> and so yeah, you'll make other movies. I got other movies to make. And indeed we, we made other movies in that time. Yeah. And, but then 
the, the planets lined up right, and there we were. Yeah. Rick, Rick's really patient about making movies over very long periods of time. Yes, I know. <laughs> I was just about to say, there's already, no better He knows at the very beginning what's going to happen 10 years from now. Yeah. So. yeah <laughs> Taking the long view. Yeah. 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 Boy, boyhood definitely prepares you for that. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, but it's, it's interesting. It, it, is, it is a kind of a rare thing, I think, the story, the particular story that this movie tells. Um, you know, just following a woman as she's kind of re-realizing her creative self. Um, that's, I, I don't know if I'm not looking in the right places, but I just don't see that, that movie a lot. Well, yeah, that's, that's really what it felt like to me. I'm a big believer in, like, uh, art as, I mean, I just know so many artists the 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 product the practicing your art is actually the therapy for your condition whatever that is you know i really believe in the that kind of coping mechanism of of making art yeah. i feel that in film you know it's like we're kind of creating this parallel universe we all get together with a common goal and kind of play make-believe and put all that effort and it kind of keeps the rest of the world at bay you know so I, I like that feeling, you know, yeah, yeah. but I realize, you know, every artist is, is experienced that to some degree and to take that away is, is, is tough. And film, I think she's an architect and I've always felt architecture, an architect and a film director, those are pretty close as far as art forms in a, in a lot of ways, you know, you have this, it's a lot of planning, let's say the script or the blueprint. And then so much has to happen before you have that building built or the film's finished. So many people have to be involved in that. So you're, you're kind of running this huge um, operation, but you have to have that vision all the way to the end. And then also, I think those two art forms, you're, they're probably more vulnerable on right. an economic, like, you know, I know a lot of architects who've made these great designs and maybe made models, but the building, no one, it never got built. And films, you know, got a lot of scripts, never, never got made. There they sit on paper. Yeah. So it's, that's kind of, you know, you can't tell, tell a songwriter, oh, you can't write that song and sing it on your guitar. You, you know, you can't tell a painter, um, you can't paint this year. <laughs> you can't tell a writer, you, you can't write that novel right now. Nope. But a filmmaker or an architect, you say, no, sorry. You can think <laughs> about it a lot, but you're not going to get to do that. So it's, it, you're particularly vulnerable. And so to me, it's, she's kind of like this nightmare, parallel, shadowy <laughs> universe <laughs> that I live tale. in of like, oh, that's a self-portrait uh -huh. of somebody who's not, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does seem that it fits in with a number of movies you make, wh which are kind of about creative growth or personal, um, personal realization, really. And, and what's really interesting is that you're exploring so many different ages of life and so many different kinds of people, and this is maybe one that, that um, you haven't quite quite done before. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely in some kind of um, last couple films, or literally like the three of the last four I've done have, have or actually four of the last five, I think, have d depicted parenting, yeah, parenting and kind of middle age to some degree. And so I think I'm, I'm there. It's kind of great to have done it long enough and to you know you, you get older and new stories kind of present themselves to you think new things resonate to you um with you and you know things you want to dive in and tell stories and this one i think it when i read the book it reminded me a lot of my mom and i realized oh i hadn't really i thought i made kind of a mother-son movie with boyhood i mean there's a father in there who's a big character too but it, to me the 
emotional core was mother son and then i thought well you know mother daughter that's pretty you know i have two older sisters i raised single mom two older sisters three daughters and i go you know i just had a front row seat my whole life to mother daughter and so i thought that's that's really is interesting and bernadette reminds me a lot of my my mom i actually even dedicate the movie to her Mm -hmm. um so it was like oh she's kind of brilliant kind of unstable you know, so <laughs> kind of unpredictable, yeah. um, like come home from school and mom's gone unpredictable for just a few days, you know, so. <laughs> as I got older, not when I was a toddler, <laughs> but, you know, teenage, like kind of fuck you <laughs> kind of age. <laughs> so but still, still a little little bit of that. So I thought, yeah. oh, I kind of know it. But I saw it from the kid's point of view. The, right, the movie's yeah. very dependent on. Her daughter's love, you know, that you see their bond is so deep. Her daughter believes in her so thoroughly. It helps the audience along. And what should I think of this character? Well, if this smart 13, 14-year-old girl, this eighth grader, loves her and believes in her so much, you know, how bad could she be, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, that the portrait of that relationship is so beautiful. Uh, I mean, and, and I, there's just such a moment that I don't, I mean... A wonderful vulnerability once where where um, Kate Blanchett's character really just opens up to her about how hard getting through life is, and that was that's a scene I wasn't expecting to see, and it just hits you really hard. Yeah, it's kind of this exuberant scene where they're in the car. Of course, it's raining in Seattle, but uh, the windshield wipers going, but uh, they're singing to uh, "Time After Time," you know, the Cindy Lauper song, and then. Um, she just turns down, she kind of starts crying, and she tells her daughter, I just want you to know how hard this is. And the dog's like, what? Oh, just, you know, going, she's like, what? You know, just the banality of life. <laughs> 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 but but I, I have the right to, uh, you know, appreciate those little things that no one notices, for better or worse, you know. So she has yeah. this kind of poetic view of the world, but you realize she's, she's kind of vulnerable, too. Yeah. Um, and I mean the the, uh, the actress who plays uh, plays the daughter Emma Nelson. She's how Emma. did you find her? Yeah, wow, Ginger, do you want to <laughs> do you want to jump in because yeah. we, we take this on uh, and go. Well, there's a big part here. At least five hundred <laughs> girls. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was like well, six hundred, maybe more. Fifty, no, or maybe more. We have a really excellent uh, casting director in Austin who we work with, and she she was a theater director in the East Coast for a while, and. She is just, she just really goes out there and goes across the nation and finds, you know, people who um, have talent, who are, you know, unexposed. So she, yeah, and we she decided ran a lot to of make a big through. search because I felt she's yeah. out there. We just have to find her, you know. So that was quite a process. And it's a lot easier now than it was 20, 20, mm-hmm. you know, 30 with, years with ago. The internet, yeah, because yeah, people mm-hmm. can just put themselves, every actor now, they used to go in for auditions. Now you ask, what are you doing? I'm putting myself on tape. So that's what the actor does. So anyway, you get these tapes by the hundreds, and it's Vicky's job to kind of cull through most of the, so many of them. But you know, at some point you're looking at, I guess it goes from like 500 to 100 to about 50. Yeah, we just kept. She kept it, helping us cull yeah, it down, and you're just kind of going yes, no, yes, no. It's kind of brutal <laughs> process, but, but, but it's like what's really cool about it is Emma's from the Midwest, from around Chicago, and. You know, yeah. we didn't have your L.A., New York, um, that's it, that we, we looked yeah. at everywhere. So I'm that's always a great cool. believer in that, you know, casting from anywhere, just because, you know, you know that, like, talent is everywhere. 
those opportunities aren't necessarily everywhere, but just to know they're out there, you know, so it's well, always worth looking. That's my most um, pleasurable part of making the movie with Rick is casting because he's so good at it. And, um, and we have a lot of fun and Rick's really great with all of the actors who come back in for callbacks. And I get so many notes saying how so incredible the process was. <laughs> I know, but you're really good to them. And he gets yeah. to know them. And, you know, even if they're not end up being, they don't end up being right for the part, he makes them comfortable enough to give a really good audition. So that's really fun. Mm -hmm. And that's, I don't see it that a lot, really. Yeah, it's funny how the pressure builds too. Like, and once it gets down to like five final callbacks, we were we scheduled here in New York because Kate was here for something. Billy lives here. We came up here and we had all the actors fly in, and so they all have you know parents in tow, and it's kind of a it's moment. Tense. Tense yeah, <laughs> and that's what impressed me so much about Emma, who and this is her first movie. She's an act actor. It's incredible. She's been in plays. She's and that's one thing. Because on the tapes, not only do we see him do a monologue or something from the script, or but just, someone's interviewing him. Tell us, you know, what's your favorite class? What do you what do you see yourself doing? To, you know, it's some question that kind of reveals them. And she was like, I don't really have a. Pl she was 13 at the time. Like, I don't really have a. I'm an actor. You know, I don't really have a plan B. I think she you know. was 12. Rick. The first time she, she did, was because we had that extra year. Yeah, she yeah. was the youngest. She was one. on the younger yeah. end, but she was just kind of so. Um, calm and confident you know just she's super smart and uh when when she got around kate i could see the others sort of tense up there in the room suddenly with kate blanchett billy crudov and like oh this is the final you could see him just kind of defer like oh hi nice to meet you emma comes in and just hi and then she we start talking the, about the scene. she just talks about her ideas and what yeah. she thinks about her character and they're all kind of like who's this kid yeah. you're like she's smart maybe a little too smart <laughs> you know, it was, you know, but I love that. I love that she was just kind of like nonplussed yeah. by her, where she was and what what was on the. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I knew I knew she would be like that. Like first day of production, we have a whole suddenly there's a hundred people around. There's lights and and she was just like herself and just very confident, very yeah. a quick study and so it was um, that was quite a little. Emma Nelson made had quite a journey. Yeah, and then poor her. The we shot that almost two years ago, and you know how long two years is in a kid's right. life. The film's <laughs> just now coming out. You know, she never told the people she goes to school with that she was even oh, in the she, movie. She it's didn't only tell now. anyone. Yeah, really? <laughs> so. I think they're gonna know tomorrow. <laughs> Sometime soon. Wow, let's keep that if under. They haven't hat. seen a trailer, or, or they've something. seen the Today Show. Yeah. Right. Yeah, she's their little classmate is now out there. Right. Well, their their performances mesh so well that you really, I mean, more so than many family relationships on screen, you really believe it. Like I began to think like. Oh, I can see what what she's inherited from her, and she's but she's doing a little differently something with it. You know, like there's a certain like um, I don't want to say like stubbornness, but you know something like that, like a really stick to itness that she she has from her. But she's doing something a little differently than her mother has done with it. Yeah, her own personality, but she has yeah. that kind of her mother's fierceness. There's yeah, a fierceness. funny scene in the middle where she just has a knockdown. Her adversary, Kristen Wiig, plays the nosy neighbor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Audrey, who's just irritated. They're kind of flip sides of each other, but they really got each other's number. And it's been going on a while. And finally, there's this huge just blow up right there at the entranceway. And she pulls B into it. And it wasn't scripted, but but Emma, she, she just, is it? Is it? It's not a spoiler. Is it? Yes, it is. 
well, then what, what are we talking about? We're not even talking about the movie. No, she added something. She, no, she says, I think I'd tell her to, you know, fuck you, you know? Because they're saying that to each other. I agree with my mom. I said, you know, that it was her idea. I was like, really? You'd say that? I was like, hmm. You know, in the rehearsal, she goes, because she would never say that naturally. She's not like that. But she thought, you know, if that's my mom and I've seen mm-hmm. that, I think that would be the time I kind of threw Still down on her behalf. Yeah. And I, I really like that. And she did it in a certain way that I was like, yeah. that's very bee like. And it, it is a yeah. chip off the old block yeah. kind of yeah. moment for them. Yeah. I thought was kind of, was pretty cool. No, so, that's, that's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful scene. That, that came from her, you know. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Um, well, just, I want to ask a question before we go to the audience for some questions, just about, you know, visualizing the story and, and what went to that. Um, we were just talking a bit before um, and you were describing the movie as a bit of a, a magic trick, just in terms of how it's how it's put together. Um, where, where was it? Where was it shot? God, this one. You want to take? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this so was we, such well, a we, such a. Well, we're better here. I'll start with the punchline. Okay. We're better to shoot Seattle in winter than Pittsburgh in the summer. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> but but let me just say something about Pittsburgh. So we we had been um, well, I had been location scouting in. You know, I went to Vancouver to look yeah, I and to I went Vancouver, to Vancouver Seattle we Rick all came. yeah we were looking we were just looking everywhere and in then that, in that few year period yeah, before a couple years before and then yeah. Rick and I were doing a movie in Pittsburgh and one day we were driving to set and we were driving through this neighborhood and I looked at Rick and I said hey this is on the same latitude as Seattle and look at these houses couldn't this be in Seattle and he w- he just said Wow. And we were just kind of going down through this neighborhood. And so it well, kind of hit need us. to know what we were looking for. The, the, one yeah. of the main characters the in the movie is this dilapidated, huge mansion, um, former girls, straight gate school for girls with a mysterious past. And it's, it's a big character in the book. And it's the house they live in. So mm-hmm. it was this kind of crumbling, great expectations kind of, you know. Um, girls school. Yeah. yeah. So you look around Seattle and Vancouver and you realize there's not one place. If it was like that, it's, they've built a new house there. You know, it's just, there's no room for that in their economy (laughs) and their real estate market. But we got to Pittsburgh on the other hand, and it's an old money town. It was a booming town so long ago. Carnegie. Yeah. All those, you know, it was such an industrial town of that, of the late 19th, early 20th century. So there were these huge neighborhoods, these huge houses that looked kind of in disrepair. And it was like, straight gates here. It was like a treasure trove. We were so excited. And we we found it. And we were just like looking around and we did, we found it. Yeah. My production designer, Bruce Curtis. And it was like, and we still had to kind of doctor it up. It was the main house, and digitally we made it a little bigger and added some stuff. But, mm-hmm. but not, I mean, yeah, it was it there. Was the there. bones of this, you know. So you have these finds. That's like a casting find. That's like mm-hmm. Emma, you know. You know, you have to keep looking, but when you find it, you know it, and you you go with it. So, um, but but the whole thing was a trick, you know. I mean, it's summer. The sun's out, <laughs> and the whole goal well, was we're never going to see direct sunlight in the movie until we get to maybe. Antarctica at the end and it was um so we're building a 60 by which is a huge thing just to block the sun so we could have shade and a lot of CGI a lot of just you know every everything was kind of pulling a rabbit out it felt like and our DP was really fantastic and we Poor DP, we sent him to Antarctica and he had to go across the Drake's Passage. Yeah, I had to because we shoot things when Kate was available, that was winter. In Antarctica, that's when you can't go. Anyone else, you can go in their summer down there, which is 
our winter. And uh, so we couldn't go right then. So, but we were ahead of it year wise. So we mm -hmm. sent him and another cameraman. He just kind of pre-visualized the movie. I think in March, at the, it's was the it, last time we could. It was, get, it was definitely winter, well, but it was the end of the It was the end of winter. Yeah. It was the last boat yeah. out that they We could were having take. trouble getting yeah. our production to fund it because yeah. we're like, we're going to want these plates. Here, we need all these shots. Because mm -hmm. so when we're sitting on that rock in Antarctica. We need penguins. Yeah, we need all that. Exactly. <laughs> Where we're going, it looks a lot like Antarctica. It's all the icebergs. It's all that. Just not, not the penguins. When they're penguins. all they're all south. So every penguin you see in the movie is a real Antarctica penguin. <laughs> not, not real a, Antarctica cast. Yeah, yeah. And the seals and every, everything down there. Yeah. So, but yeah, we had to kind of pre-visualize it and we had these plates and so it's a kind of a CGI trick, so much of it. And yeah. Greenland. And then, yeah, we, after we shooting the whole movie, we shot it in really three sections, I guess. The Pittsburgh was the most and of it. Seattle. Then we went to Seattle for a time and shot yeah. a lot of exteriors because Seattle doesn't, I mean, Washington as a state doesn't have an incentive program. And once your budget gets over a certain amount of millions, mm -hmm. you know, you it starts to mean a lot to everybody but we like pittsburgh we had shot oh, yeah. there before so it was a great place to to you know make this but then we you know they let us shoot in the space needle and seattle was very welcoming yeah. and then we get on a russian boat and head to <laughs> head to the north pole <laughs> with the whole crew and cast and yeah shoot all that stuff so yeah, all her, over her final over journey world. so yeah it was quite yeah. a quite a journey for all of us yeah know? and so uh, when was the first time each of you worked together on a film was that suburbia or earlier than that or yeah was it suburbia? it's been 20 whatever was years i think it was i think suburbia. that was the first time I, we knew each other but that was yeah, the first time we, met we ever you did dazed and confused and we met in new york slacker wasn't it no it was slacker yeah when you came to the you new director series yeah, in, yeah, in new the, york in the spring of then. spring of 91 yeah there you go yeah. Um, Austinites uh, communing in New York. That's what yeah. we were doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah. running into each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. New from University of California Press, Creativity and Copyright, Legal Essentials for Screenwriters and Creative Artists, is an indispensable reference on how to successfully navigate the entertainment industry. Readers will quickly understand the laws that govern creativity, idea-making, and selling, and learn how to protect themselves and their works from the legal quagmires they may encounter. Written by a pair of experts, John L. Geiger and Howard Suber, who use real-life case studies to cover topics such as clearance, contracts, collaboration, and infringement. Visit www.ucpress.edu to learn more. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jim Jarmusch interviewed by Amy Taubin, and Maddie Diop's Atlantics by Dennis Lim. Plus, an ode to Doris Day by Terrence Davies, United Artists at 100, the acting partnership of Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee, Ari Aster on his Midsummer Inspirations, and much, much more. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism, and subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Spiritual themes uh, really resonate with me. I remember the Kristen Wiig character in the book goes through a spiritual, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe a, even a religious transformation. Uh, does that happen in the, in the movie? What, what kind of spiritual no. journeys do the main characters go on? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, no, she does go she through does. a journey. It's not really defined. <laughs> <laughs> she does. They go through a journey together that I think you could describe as... I don't, it's transformational. It, yeah, it's yeah. like they see something in each other, but yeah, I don't know if it. Tra I don't know if it totally qualifies as. Well, well, yeah, it does spiritual. because it's you know, because maybe, maybe they, yeah. 
they there's definitely a an yeah. understanding between them and they do go to some new level so i think they might see it as, i think when she comes back they, they will be more spiritual friends but as of <laughs> yeah. now she just kind of helps her escape but um she's a great character and Kristen was really she was really fun for that but that was one of those we have Kristen for like she's doing us a favor kind of working for like six or seven days what, what? seven days so seven we got to shoot all Kristen stuff like right we wanted there. her more yeah and she wanted to be there more she just yeah. couldn't but we were just lucky to have her at all you know? no she's she's terrific and and she's Always. really she's really good at arguments I mean in this movie yeah. <laughs> no I mean not she everyone's good but yeah, it's so yeah, hard you to have to be you got to be yeah yeah yeah. It's, a, it's a hard thing to do and also not make it just kind of like a comical thing like it, it is yeah. funny but it's also like wow yeah, people they're are really, really trying to win their point of view yeah they're trying to be heard and yeah and make their points you know so yeah for sure it's just a little frayed around the edges yeah yeah uh in the back uh hi richard hi ginger i'm a fan of your work i'm from ecuador and um, I have a cultural platform there for young creatives, and I would like to ask you, uh, what advice would you give to young creatives? Young creatives and all, <clears throat> all well, mediums? Well, filmmakers in this case. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> well, it's, it's a lot easier now than when I was first starting out to see if you, you know, if that's your medium. You know, I think everyone should just find their medium. You know, I think I started out, as a, as a teenager, just thinking, oh, I'm a novelist. No, I'm a playwright. And then I landed on finally film. It took me a while to realize, oh, films are in my head. That's that's my medium. But first, you got to find what you're really meant to be doing. So, and then, uh, you know, I just it, it's such a it's such a tough path, you know, in, in a certain way. You know, it's not. I don't never spoke of it in career options you know like it's not oh you could do this or you could be you know i just never saw it in those terms so it's just like follow whatever talent and passion you have and see where it takes you and what form that is you know even when i started off you know i was definitely aspiring to i was writing and wanted to make movies but had i not or you know i think i'd, I'd still be doing film something because i just love movies so much so and still kind of am you know the I have a film society in Austin and just, you know, I think you just dedicate your life to film. If you love film, you're like joining the priesthood of film and then see what exact form that'll take. A group of young people or film freaks can get together and make a film community. You know, I mean, Rick's anywhere. in Austin. Yeah, yeah, you know, just we have a big make it happen now. around you. And it's even easier now. Every film's available. We Sorry, the film site like so long ago, but it was just really greedily wanting to see a bunch of movies that weren't available. Well, hell, everything's practically available now. If you can start, you know, they could have their own theater and do, you know, there's just a lot of things you can do to, but in the communal aspects, important. I didn't even realize it at the time. I was just the film freak and with other film freaks. And then I was like, oh, I made this film alone, but do you guys want to help me on this film? And, you know, the community, you know, I served it, it served me, you know, it was just that same community you're building of fellow film freaks will be the people you make films with and support and maybe you work on their film, they work on yours, you know, that kind of community, give feedback on scripts, but you know, you can't do it alone, especially film requires community. So if you're a, um, you, just, you just have to be a member, you got to seek out a community and a lot of artists are kind of lone wolf personalities. So it's you have to overcome that as a filmmaker if you're like that you really got to 
force yourself. I remember just getting over that myself a little bit. I was like, oh, I got to show up. At, you know, I just kind of connect with it. Yeah, I just a little more effort, which is great. You know, maybe, you know, I think people need that, but you got to get over whatever's holding you back and put yourself out there. Um, I, I almost think that's something that kind of comes out in some of your movies that the team community aspect, you know, like me and Orson Welles, uh, or even I, I just happened to watch School of Rock on the plane <laughs> recently, <laughs> but you know, pulling it that's together. That's a good plane movie, yeah. <laughs> everybody everybody <laughs> wants I had seen it in the theater before, yeah. <laughs> but just that sense of pulling together. And that's how we make movies together as well. Yeah. We have a real family of... Uh, the band together. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. we've known a lot of these people and their families for... 20 plus years and so when we go to work and we I mean it's not work it's fun and we we know everyone and there's a shorthand and and we have to pinch ourselves and go wow this is what we get to do for a living because and I think it comes through in the film it's very harmonious so it's Mm -hmm. great Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I've kind of yeah I have brought that subject matter I think yeah School of Rock kind of getting a band together rehearsing practicing and then performing and yeah, me and Orson Welles was a fun depiction of a theater troupe. Yeah. And I don't know if I'll ever make a film about making a film. I think every mm-hmm. filmmaker should, but I'll find one someday. But mm-hmm. um, definitely a theater company putting on a play mm-hmm. was was really fun. Yeah. Really fun to explore those dynamics and actors and you know, director and all that. Hey, Richard. So um, I can't have you in front of me and not ask this question for you get at every interview. But uh, do you want to do another before film, or are there any plans? For that? Oh, right. Uh, yeah, no. I could ask that. I had to ask. I, I'm begging for it. Once you do, like, no one ever asked that about the second one. But when you shoot them, too, it was like, is there going to be a third? And once you do a third, so it's okay. It's, a, it's an obvious question. But I don't, I mean, our trajectory was, it's like these nine-year kind of incremental. That's how it worked out. But on each of those, it was about five years that was like, hmm, I think Jesse and Celine have more to, you know, I'd start talking to Ethan or Julie. It's like, what if, you know, it just, it, the idea was out there that they're kind of talking to us, that maybe they're at a new phase of life. Maybe there's something to explore. And that always happened around the five-year point. It takes about five years to recover <laughs> from doing the, those films. <laughs> Believe it or not, as casual as they look, they're really kind of like draining. So... Um, <laughs> That hasn't happened. It's been like seven years. And I was just with Julie in Greece for like a long time. And, you know, we talked about a lot of things. We didn't even, I talked to Ethan all the time. It just, it, no one, it just hasn't happened. So, I mean, it I, might. I, that, I, we still got two more years. I could run into, you know, something could happen. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe the recovery from the last one, which was particularly grueling. Maybe it's maybe it's more time, but I mean, never say yeah. never. But I mean, in my opinion, it's the best trilogy of all time. So maybe that's a good yeah. uh, prize. <laughs> What's the best quadrology of all time? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, maybe we can find out. Good no, question. <laughs> Is that the right word? Even quadrology? It's harder to say. Maybe we'll just stop at trilogy. It's, yeah, it's yeah. trilogy. It flows. No, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that actually reminds me of something else. That because those are movies that are so driven by the conversation and you've written the dialogue for that one. I mean, in the case of, of this, what's, what's it like kind of adapting um, um, other, other material? I'd say by the time, I, I'm not kidding, by the time I'm in rehearsals, casting rehearsals, making the film, I, I don't know the difference. Mm-hmm. Whether it's an original screenplay by me, if it's adapted from something, if 
someone else wrote it and I'm currently rewriting or whatever phase it's at. It's kind of going through the same meat grinder, you know, process. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it all feels the same. The same. So yeah, I, I don't see a difference. Uh, I was just curious when you were just mentioning like with like adapted screenplays versus like originals and stuff like that. And you had mentioned how you guys had both read the book and Kate had read the book, but I was wondering like, if you would encourage like the rest of the cast or like production and stuff to also read the book or if you didn't yeah. really. It wasn't one of those like, oh, don't read the source material we want our own. No, it was like, hey, read the book. We got books for everybody. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, we, it was just, again, the book was so different. It was like wonderful material to just put in your head. You know, everybody, yeah. the actors really liked it, but th there were certain things in the book we weren't depicting, some couple major things that happen in the book aren't happening in the movie. I always say like, that's the five hour HBO limited series. <laughs> you know, it's not in the movie. That's, you know, you know. So, but I think they still internalized a lot of that, you know. So I'd have to remind them, that doesn't happen in the movie. <laughs> you know, they're like mad at somebody. I was like, that never happened, don't worry. You know, so, but it, it was a natural for us to, to be one of those very, very open with it. And, you know, Maria herself was around and we'd, go visit her and she was she was helpful supportive I think this film is a depiction of a woman whose life has been who <clears throat> that creative life she has a professional setback but then she has the, her personal her becoming a mom and it was in kind of difficult circumstances she becomes a mom you know like a the daughter needs surgery and we find this out you know in in backstory but uh, that she's devoted herself so much, motherhood has thrown her so much into this role that she has totally forgotten. It's one, one huge element of that. So, and I, I think that's so many women's, I've seen just personally uh, becoming a mom really alter, and it changes everybody, but it, it alters the life, I think, and the trajectory of, I think, so many more women than men, you know, that's, it's just, you know, I don't know if that's the design or, you know, for so many reasons, you know, I was just talking about this with Kate and, you know, we had to, I was like, you know, I've been a parent for a quarter century and like no one's ever asked me, you know, how do you balance work and parenting? <laughs> Kate gets asked that four times a day, you know? So I'm like, well, okay, Th what is that? And I've never been criticized when I'm in Pittsburgh, my daughters yeah. are in school and you know, they came to visit or we were fortunate we shot over the summer. So they were, they were w with me the whole, so much of the shoot, but I've had other shoots where, you know, you go visit and then they come visit, but there's a month they're in school somewhere else. And, but I've never felt criticized for not being there. But I think, uh, you know, a lot of moms is like, wow, you left your kids for a month. It's like, oh, they got a dad, they got school, they got friends. Yeah. They'll be okay in the long run. But it just, you know, so there, there is this huge double standard in that, that way, but. I don't think it's just but, being a mother either. I think it's universal for women and our times because I think women have a lot of pressure on them to do everything and balance everything. And whether you're a mother or not, I'm not a mother, but I, my days are full completely for all the responsibilities and everything I'm doing. And I feel like, I, mean, I, was, I was speaking with you about this earlier. I feel like when you are energized and you're doing thing after thing after thing and you're keeping it going and you're thriving on that, it gives you more energy. But the moment you stop, you kind of collapse. 
And a lot of people around you, and this is what happens to our character, <laughs> a lot of people yeah. think you're weird or you're lazy or what's she doing or whatever. Right. But what happens is, is you, you literally, you collapse and then it's hard <laughs> to find your way back. And I think that that's a big theme in this movie. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's a movie for everyone to see. It's a cautionary tale for young, younger people, but also really in my age group too, um, you know, it, it's okay. It's okay not to be able to accomplish everything at once. And I think that this movie is a real love story uh, for herself, really, about self-care and taking care of herself and doing what makes her feel good. Yeah, but the subject matter you're asking about, that's really, that's the life choice subject. It's, it, everyone navigates that mm -hmm. differently and there's nothing like becoming a parent to change. I've talked to filmmaker friends of mine who are just having their first kids, and they're like, how is it gonna, is it gonna change? I said, no, it's gonna make your work deeper and make you even better and more concentrated. You're just gonna quit doing a lot of other shit. <laughs> you know, hanging out with your, you're, you're you not, prioritize. You're not, you're not gonna, you're gonna, a lot of your life's gonna go away and you're gonna have this, which is great, and you're gonna have that. And that's, then that's all you kind of want. You know, so, but I remember being young and that I didn't really want a personal life. I just wanted to live in the parallel world of film, you know, <laughs> making films, watching films. I just, the world was yucky, you know, I didn't want to be anywhere near it. So um, there's nothing like the responsibility of like parent teacher conferences and crap like that to pull you into like, what am I? Reality. Yeah, real world, real world. <laughs> Having a kid need you is, uh, yeah. you know, but it, it's great, you know. There, I mean, there's some funny material about that in the, in the movie as well, just navigating that world as well. Uh, Richard, I, I think I remember from your like PBS special, The American Masters or whatever it was a few years ago, that back, you know, something like that, some sort of special like that, that when you were like on the barge or doing that work you did when you were a kid before you started making films that you made sure you had these like routines of writing every day uh it might have been when you were working on books or something like that but you made sure to write every day and i was wondering if you still keep up routines like that and what role those routines play in keeping you mellowed out or you know yeah i mean <clears throat> that was a long time ago i was like working offshore i was yeah I, I had routines i think writers have to you know you write a certain amount of every day you do that you have to kind of discipline yourself show that discipline. I don't, I don't think I have any many routines anymore. I have like coping mechanisms. Or, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't really, I'm like, oh, I don't have to do anything today. Good. You know, I just like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, discipline, you know, it's important. Every, everything you do, you have to, here's the key to even when you're not a professional, no one gives a shit. You're not getting paid. There's no economy to it. The world doesn't care what you're doing. You have to act. You have to self-delude yourself into like, this is important. Give yourself deadlines. I like, I have to finish this film by June 1st, some short I'm making that no one cares about. But just to, you know, I'm teaching myself. But you know, give a deadline, make that deadline. Start again, do it, you know, you just take a real professional approach to it. Give yourself impossible deadlines. You know, like, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to edit three days straight to make that deadline. And you're like, what are you doing? You know, people who knew me, roommates like, what are you doing? I'm like, I gotta finish this. Why? I'm like, cause I said I would, and I wrote it down. And it's like, it's good to, it's kind of crazy, but you know, it's just, you know, set standards for yourself and try to 
try to live up to them. And, you know, maybe someday <laughs> that'll come in handy or someone else will, will actually be supporting you. Um, I was wondering if you still find time to watch a lot of movies these days. And if you do, what are your favorite or least favorite trends, like rise of superhero movies or uh, oh, scary movies, et cetera? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, another thing, like to your question earlier, all the things you don't do. I, the guy who used to go to 650 movies a year in the theater now goes to, I don't know, not as much as I would like. Uh, the last two I've seen in the theater are probably the same two all of you have seen. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and um, The Farewell, you know, stuff uh, like yeah. that. So it's that kind of yeah. level, which I love. I like both of those. But uh, no, not as much. But I, I have a theater now in Austin. The Austin Film Society has two screens. We have our own full-time, round-the-clock theater. And I often miss all the movies I want to see because I'm with my kids till they go to bed and then, then I'm too tired. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> but no, you know, you, 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 you catch what you can, but no, it's. That makes me wonder, you know, if you, if, when, when you, if you show uh, Where'd You Go Bernadette, if you had to like pair it as a double feature, what would you, what would you pair it with? Of know. my own? Of, of your own or of oh, another movie? Oh, another yeah, movie, yeah. I I don't know. I was wow. almost thinking like an Agnes Varda movie might be kind of interesting. Just creativity. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, which Agnes Varda film? That, uh, the Cleaners, <laughs> Cleaners and I, or I don't know. It's just an idea. Faces, I, Places. I, 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 reuses everything. I love that mm. one she did like in 1970 with her own son in L.A. Oh, wow. What's it called? Oh, I love that one. Documenteur? That one? Yeah, they're living in like in it's yeah. fictional. It's not a documentary, but it's it. real low to the ground. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, Venice, California. Yeah, it's a mother-son movie, yeah. but so it's not exactly mother-daughter, but it's a yeah. mom trying and struggling. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful movie. So let's, um, let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one's that one's pretty great. All right, well, that's all the time we have, but thank you both so much. Yeah, well, nice thank you. seeing you guys. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Written by expert authors John L. Geiger and Howard Suber, Creativity and Copyright, Legal Essentials for Screenwriters and Creative Artists, is a short, elegant reference for those looking to succeed in the entertainment industry. New from University of California Press, visit www.ucpress.edu to learn more. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comet with features on Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jim Jarmusch interviewed by Amy Taubin, and Maddie Diop's Atlantics by Dennis Lim. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism and subscribe today at filmcomment.com.